Okay, boys and girls, let's get going. Right, Acts chapter 13, we're still going on. This is Paul preaching this sermon, long sermon in Antioch. And he's now got to the point where he's preaching Jesus Christ crucified. So, let's start with the prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray that you will open our eyes, that we might, we might understand what is written here and that we might hear Paul's preaching as he preaches Jesus and him crucified and risen again. And that this will mean something to us and we will say yes to him and follow him all the days of our lives. We pray for those who are struggling at this time with their various issues that they've got, be it addiction, be it where to live, be it the sort of people they're living with. We pray, Father, that you will help us all to be more than conquerors through him that loved us. And to know that he, in fact, passed this way before, through Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, verse 23, picking up where we left off yesterday, of this man's seed, he's talking about David, has God, according to his promise, raised up to Israel a saviour, Jesus. So he says that uh, Jesus was the descendant of David, that God's plan with, with, with Jesus didn't just arise like that. He planned it right from the beginning. And he told Abraham, you will have a son descendant, it would be Jesus, and David likewise. And we said yesterday that Mary, this illiterate, barefoot, poor girl from a poor village in the north of Israel, that she was the one chosen, that she was right in that line from David, from Abraham, and therefore through her getting pregnant by God, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was born. This is after verse 24, John had first of all preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So what is repentance? Well, repentance doesn't mean that, oh, now I'm going to be squeaky clean, perfect, and never sin again. What is repentance? Repenting, rethinking. It is a recognition that I have sinned and I don't want to go this way, I want to go God's way. But it doesn't mean that you're perfect. And a lot of people think, oh, I can't be baptized because I'm such a sinner. I'm, I'm a terrible person and I can't see in my own strength that I can just change myself. Well, sure. That doesn't mean you can't be baptized. Repentance means to rethink that in your heart of hearts, in your very innermost heart, you say, yeah, I rethink all this. I, I give my, my life to him. And as John 25 was fulfilling his ministry, he said, who do you suppose I am? I'm not he. But look, there comes one after me, the shoes of whose feet are not worthy to untie. So John had a ministry, and a ministry means a service to do. And a minister of the gospel, he's not some bloke who, you know, dresses up and asks for your money and makes himself out to be so cool and wears fancy clothes. A minister is a servant. That's what, that's what it means. You know, brother, sister, let me minister to you. Let me serve you. So... John had a ministry. We've all got a ministry. Paul says there were good works that God set up for us to do from the foundation of the world. There was something that we were supposed to do. It could be caring for an autistic child. It could be bringing at least one person to everlasting life, persuading one person of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing you can do. And John fulfilled his ministry. Well, what was his ministry? His ministry was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. But actually, it didn't really succeed because most of the people he preached to, they turned around and crucified Jesus. And Jesus told a little parable about John's preaching. He said, it's like children sitting in the marketplace. And one kid says, 
hey, let's play funerals. And he starts crying, said, come on, let's play funerals. And they said, no, we don't want to play. Then another kid comes along and says, okay, let's play weddings. And he's happy and piping and, and uh, come on, let's be happy. And they said, no, we don't want to play. And Jesus says, that's like John the Baptist. He came calling you to tears, calling you to repentance, and you didn't want to know. I came more upbeat and positive. Come on, let's rejoice, let's be happy, and you didn't want to know. So, in a sense, John didn't actually achieve that much. He might have, well, he, he persuaded a few people, but not the masses. But it says he fulfilled his ministry. He did his job. And you may think, well, what did I achieve in this world? Not apparently much. That's not the point. You did your ministry, and we've each got something to do. That's one reason I try and get people to get baptised, because then you will come to realise that God wants you. That, in a sense, as, as is said in Judaism, that God is in need of man, to some degree. Because God can do what he wants. But in another sense... He actually structures his purpose so that he is, in that sense, in need of man. That he, he wants to give you a job to do. And man is never better than when he's doing something for God. And then everything starts to go, go smoothly. So, we have a ministry. We are each, in another figure, parts of the body of Christ. And each part of the human body has got you know, some unique function. And without it, the whole body doesn't function properly. And he says, look, I'm not he, I'm not Jesus. And that's the thing, that's part of your message, <clears throat> to say to people, oh, I'm not Jesus. You know, <clears throat> because you're not. <clears throat> but look, he says, there comes one after me, that's Jesus, the shoes of whose feet, like the uh, latchet on his sandals, I'm not worthy to untie. Well, he doesn't mean I don't untie the shoes, uh, the, his sandals, uh, I think the idea is like a, a kind of a metaphor. He's saying that I'm his herald. I'm the one who goes before him carrying his sandals. But I'm not worthy to do that, but I'm doing it. So this is, this is, how, this is how to make converts to say, look here, guys, I'm not worthy. I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. But I'm telling you about Jesus. And there is, unfortunately, the idea around that to be a Christian, you have got to be very pious and perfect and, you know, not smoke cigarettes and uh, not smell under your breath when you drop your coffee or something like that. And if you do that, oh, no, no, you, you, you're not the real deal. And, yeah, these pictures in stained glass windows of these white-faced, pious people. So these, um, <coughs> these stained glass pictures of, uh, you know, saints and all these saintly people with white faces who never done anything wrong. It's nonsense. That is not what it is to be a Christian. So, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm not Jesus. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, but I am carrying his sandals, but I'm not worthy to. Brothers, children of the stock of Abraham. He sees his brothers. You're my brothers. They were Jews. He was a Jew. And those among you that fear God, that's the... Um, the, uh, the proselytes, that is the Gentiles who went along to the synagogue, to us is the word of this salvation sent. So again, you see Paul is making a bridge between himself and his listeners. He says, we're brothers. Even though you're not actually believers at this point, uh, still in Orthodox Judaism, he says, but you're brothers. And to us, not just not to you, to you, you need to hear the gospel. He's saying, but to us, you and me, together, are in this. 
To us is the word of this salvation set. For they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, that's Jesus, they didn't recognize him, they didn't have a relationship with him, nor the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Well, he's talking, to, he's talking about the uh, leaders of the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees. These guys spent their whole lives copying out the, uh, the Bible as they had it and straining over every single letter, every single Hebrew letter and, and, and getting it just right. They were, they were not, you know, ignorant people, ignorant of, of the Bible. But he says, yeah, these people who knew the Bible and who read it and wrote it out, copied it out, they didn't know the voices of the prophets. So, there's one thing to read the Bible, there's another thing to actually hear the voice. They hear the voice that is coming there. The Bible, as I keep telling you, is a living word. It actually speaks to you. Right? And it comes alive. The Bible does come alive. And he says, you know, these guys didn't hear the voices of the prophets. Remember, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, the words of the prophets are written on the subway wall. You know, that's about it. But God's word is live if you read it with the right attitude. And I really encourage you to get a Bible or to get the Bible Companion app, download it on your phone if you haven't got it already, and, and read. You can't beat it. To actually read the text of the Bible for yourself. And though 28 they found no cause of death in him, they asked Pilate to have him slain. They found no cause of death in him. That appears on the surface to contradict what you actually read in the Gospels, where they say to Pilate, he is worthy of death. He has done this, that and the other. That is a cause of death. Please can you crucify him for us? Because we don't have power as Jews to uh, crucify. You're the Roman governor. You, you give him a death sentence. They said, oh, we've found all these causes of death in him. But here Paul says they found no cause of death in him. But they asked Pilate to kill him. And there you get it. When you think about it. That somebody can know something in their heart of hearts, like they knew in their heart of hearts that Jesus was innocent. But they said to Pilate, but kill him, he's not innocent, he's guilty. And that's how it is with us human beings. You can know something in your heart, the truth of something, but then you deny it. And coming to Jesus Christ involves hands-up surrender, absolute hands-up surrender, but I know this is true, I've been denying it, but I just, yeah, I give in, this is right. And so that there is no gap between what you think in your heart and who you actually show yourself to be. So that you're not a poser, you're not a hypocrite, you're not thinking one thing in your heart while you say and do something else. And the world is full of posers, right? And we all know that, <clears throat> and we all have that tendency. Well, it says... When they had fulfilled the things that were written about him, all those Old Testament prophecies we looked at yesterday, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. They took him down from the tree. Well, you know, the New Testament's written in Greek, right? Not in English or whatever. And the word cross in the Bible, it means a tree. A tree. A tree trunk. And that is how he was crucified. And I suggest that instead of the idea that he was crucified with his hands outstretched, like in a T-shape, which he may have been, I don't think it's 
hugely important, but it was probably with his hands above his head, like that. And why is it interesting he was killed on a tree? Well, you see, when you look around, like you look at Croydon Minster, just around the corner, there's massive, great big building, and there's like a spire. You see spires all over South London. And at the top of the spire there's a cross, and there we poor sinners down here looking up there at Jesus. Oh, wow. Jesus is right up there. Oh, I'm poor little me. There's a big gap between me and him. Well, actually, no, the gap is not so great. Because he was crucified on a tree. Now, it's not like in England where you've got oak trees and whacking big things. In Palestine, you tend not to have that, especially in the Jerusalem area. The tree trunk that he was crucified on was big enough, uh, was small enough, if you like, for a man to carry. Because when he goes out to Golgotha to be crucified, he's carrying it on his shoulder. And when he can't do it anymore, they get Simon of Cyrene to carry it. So you can't carry an oak tree on your shoulder, right? This was a tree trunk that was, it was possible for one man to carry. Another reason why it was not some massive structure is because he was on the cross and he says, I thirst. Is anyone, you know, sort of, can someone give me something to drink? And when they heard he said, I'm thirsty, somebody, we're told in John 19, took a hyssop, which is like a reed, and put some vinegar on the end of it and held it up to him. Now a hyssop, a stalk, is not more than a metre long at the most. So they took this hyssop stalk, it's about a metre long, and held up the, used it to like get the vinegar to. So he was not way up in the sky. He wasn't on the top of a spire. His feet would have been like about there on me, like up to my chest, let's say. Yeah, he was a bit, he was higher, that's why they needed the hyssop to lift it up to him, to lift the vinegar up to him. But you see there that Jesus is a lot closer to you than you think. That he's not miles away. He's not way up in the sky, in that sense, too far. And that, for me, little me, to get to. And that's the problem with what religion has done. There's, there's the, the ornate church, like Freud and Minster, that nobody goes to anymore. Um, and, and the massive spire. And then this crucifix, this cross right on the top of the spire. No, I don't think so, guys. That's not how it was. He was a man amongst men. And that is why we love him, because he was one of us, one of our boys, who never sinned. All right, God was his father. He had that that side of him that we, we don't have. And he never sinned. So they took his body down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Simple as that. God raised him from the dead. But he was there for three days, and then that dead body came back to life. And as we're listening that uh, song, because he lives, we shall live also. As he said, you know, because I live, you shall live also. So his resurrection, his literal bodily resurrection, is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical to what it is to be a Christian. But I know I'm going to die. One day, we will all not be here unless Jesus comes back in our lifetimes. One day, none of us will be here. From the oldest of us, probably the oldest here, 
goodness, scary thought. Oh no, Dottie, you're, you're on me, right? You're above me. Yeah, okay. One day, we won't be here, right? None of us will be here. It's like none of us are going to get out of here alive. And that's okay. Well, we don't want to think about it. Well, don't talk to me about death. Or don't, 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 don't. But that's the reality. But he died and rose again. It's as simple and straight up as that. And when you're baptised, you go into the water, that's like death with Jesus, and you come up out of the water, which is like resurrection with him, and you are connected with him. You will rise again. This life is not all. This life is like one little millimetre compared to the eternal long line of God's kingdom, of eternity. So God raised him from the dead, 31, and he was seen for many days by those that came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Well, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he didn't, like, display him, like, publicly, somewhere in Jerusalem, so that Jesus could say, like, there you are, told you so. No, 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 I'm alive. You killed me. I, here I am, I'm alive. God in his wisdom didn't structure his purpose in that way. God instead resurrected Jesus and showed him to some people and said, you are to go and be witnesses of him. And in that sense, we are the body of Jesus Christ. You're baptised into Jesus, you become part of his body. And as you know, Mother Teresa said, he has no other hands or face or or body in this world, no other eyes in this world apart from you and me, because people don't read the Bible, people don't know Jesus, until they meet you and me. And then they see something of him in you. So we are his witnesses. You know, God could sort of appear up in the sky, up in the clouds, so that everyone could see him, but he doesn't do that. Of course he could do. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he's chosen us little people, that we should be his witnesses in this world. And that's the greatest thing you can do. It's not your career, it's not your family, it's not this, it's not that, it's not owning a property or whatever people dream of, or you know, unlimited spending money or whatever you think would be great. The greatest thing you can do is to be his witness in this world. So, we bring you good news, 32, and the word gospel means good news. We bring you good news of the promise made to the fathers, that's the Jewish fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, that God has fulfilled the same to our children, and that he resurrected Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, because he said in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had in his own generation served the will of God, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. So, you can see then that the idea of the death and resurrection of Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. And when it happened, now Paul is saying, look, you know, all those Bible prophecies were fulfilled. And one of them, as he says, is that Jesus would not see corruption. 
In other words, his body physically didn't corrupt. He died, was buried, and three days later rose again. Now, it's a fairly hot climate at um, Easter time, Passover time in, in Israel. So, how come? Well, when you read the records of his death, you read of the Lord, his body being wrapped very carefully by Joseph Nicodemus and all these spices being put over his body before they wrapped him in the, in the grave clothes. So in a funny way, those prophecies that he did not corrupt, his body physically didn't decay during the three days he was dead, was fulfilled by careful, loving people in this life who loved him and wanted to do the best they could for him. And so it is that what we do for people may be very small, but it actually fulfills God's purpose. By the way, at 36, David, after he'd served the will of God, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. That is, he was put in a grave. But he fell asleep. That's how the Bible talks about death. It's falling asleep. And you will wake up when you are resurrected. Now, when you go to sleep, you don't know how long you've been sleeping. You might have been sleeping for five minutes. You might have been sleeping for five hours. Or 12 hours, you don't know. All you know is, oh yeah, I went to sleep, oh, I've woken up now. And that's how it's going to be. We, we were talking the other day about whether the situation in Israel means that Jesus is going to come back really soon. And uh, yeah, I hope so. And we will be the only generation who doesn't die if he comes back in our lifetime. But he may not, but that's okay. We will die, but we will sleep. It will be, death will be asleep. And this is where the Bible absolutely, and the Gospel, absolutely touches directly man's greatest fear, which is death, actually. Paul talks about how we, are, we who all our lifetime were in fear of death are now saved from that fear. You may fear the process. Oh, I don't want to die of cancer. I don't want to die a violent death. I don't want to be stabbed to death on the streets of Croydon. Um, yeah, okay, you might fear the process. That's okay. But in the bigger in the bigger picture, there is no fear of death. As Paul says, death, where is your victory? Death, you're a loser for me. And so we have that absolute calm assurance that this is not all. That because I have believed in Jesus Christ... And in his death and resurrection, and I believed, as Paul says, I believed in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and I have identified myself with him. Because he lives, I will live also. And that puts a whole different perspective on your life. Because if in this life, you've only got this life, well, that's a scary thought. That it's only, it's only this and unless I really do well and I'm really successful and I have a fantastic family, fantastic relationships, loads of money, loads of success in my career or my business, end up owning a really nice house, oh, well, if I didn't make that, oh, well, then I failed. Oh, yikes. I'm already, whatever it might be, I'm already 40, I'm already 50, I'm already 60. Oh, uh, I didn't make it. Oh, no, I failed. No, no, no. 
No, no. Life is not a failure. It's not a case of, oh, I didn't make it. No one's made it, actually. All those people who looked so rich, I mean, they're miserable as, most of them. They didn't make it in their personal relationships. They didn't make it in all sorts of ways. Nobody makes it, humanly speaking. But that's okay. For us, that's okay. Because, yeah, this life is just a millimetre. This is just a, a passing moment. This is just a, just an absolute <coughs> moment of, of existence. This whole 70, 80, 90 years, if you're unlucky, um, you know, coughing and hacking our way through this world. That, 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 that's nothing. It's nothing compared to eternity. You know, I don't know how I can persuade you better than to say yes to Jesus. To, to get with him so that you can look at life in this way. So that actually there is no failure. Um, and that even death itself is what Fred Wilkner called many years ago the magnificent defeat. The magnificent defeat. It's like the death of Jesus. They all said, ah, oh, loser, you, you, you're dead. No, no. He died, but he rose again. So it was a magnificent defeat. But defeat was turned into victory. And so that is the same for us. And again, one of the songs that we listen to says that on the playlist. Um, As death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory, and I'll know he lives. And it's because he lives that we have that assurance that death in the end is asleep, will be resurrected, and death will just give way to victory. So, he says, um, 38, Therefore, be it known to you, brothers, that through this man is proclaimed to you the remission of sins. The big item in all this as to why do we die is because the wages of sin is death. And how is it possible that we get out of death? How do we get the get out of jail free card? Because sin is dealt with. This is the significance of his death for us and through him, in him, baptised into him, we abide in him. And in him, or through him, everyone that believes is declared righteous in all things which the Lord Moses could not declare you righteous. So, we're going to take the bread and the juice. So, the bread represents the body of Jesus, and the, the juice, the breadness, represents his blood, which is his life, given for us. And that through him, we get forgiveness of sin and therefore the certainty of resurrection when Jesus comes back. But, um, okay, let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you with all our heart and soul for Jesus and for his death and resurrection and for the hope that we have, that precious hope, that because of him, our precious Savior, we have forgiveness of our sins and the hope of life eternal. For Jesus' sake.